Welcome to the Dog Dialogue by Cyclist Dog Skills, your ultimate podcast for all things dog. I'm Matt Donovan, and I'll be your guide through the fascinating world of canine companionship. Whether you're a seasoned caregiver or a newbie, join us for expert insight, heartwarming stories, and the joy of being part of a dog-loving community. Together, we'll explore the deep connections we've forged with our four-legged companions. Because when it comes to our four-legged friends, every bark, every wag, and every paw print tells a story. Thank you, Andy, for joining us. It's always great to have you here and always great to get your insights. How are you doing? I'm good. I've been enjoying the show. Andy, I think, Andy, you've been part of, well, definitely part of Flingless Feb since more or less the start. Part, definitely part of Slovember since the start. Um, it, I know it's a big part of, you know, especially the idea of thinking slowly. And we've got the title tonight of reactive in inverted commas question mark. I think it's important for us to briefly talk about that term reactive and maybe some of the terminology or terms that we might prefer, because that it's not a term I necessarily use anymore. Um, it's I've definitely moved away from that with influences from you and 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 Sarah the lovely Sarah Fisher too um but we're also going to talk about how dogs that are in inverted commas reactive how slow really supports them aren't we yeah definitely I think slow is definitely a really important word on many levels really because we'll unpack some of this together but um uh it's about slowing down our own responses and reactions that's for sure it's about slowing down the process it's about giving ourselves chance to learn more first. I think that's a big thing, really, about what we are looking at doing a little bit differently now. And, um, you know, I think quite often we get, um, I get people ask me about training specifically, you know, uh, and I definitely read stuff, apparently, that I that people talk on my behalf. Um, uh, but, yeah, I had somebody ask me, I was, I was on a panel recently and somebody said, oh, is it? Is it right that you feel training's bad? Is training the problem? And I, and I, and I just want to stress this at the beginning, really. Training itself is neutral, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, you know, and um, like a lot of things are, so it's not good or bad. But we do have to ask questions about why we're doing it, when we're doing it, what we think we're doing it for, and that's part of this slowing down process a little bit. So uh, I, I've just come back from speaking at a couple of um, in-person gigs, actually, it's always nice to do in-person again. And I kind of propose that we need to kind of just think about doing things in this order, really. This is what we can unpack a little bit tonight. Mm. Uh, learn, support, teach. But the learn bit is that we learn fast. We learn as much as we can about that dog's experience about how they process about you know as much of their stories we can that includes the puppy I, I i was sharing some footage of molly when she was a puppy at this uh these talks just to show even as a puppy they got a lot they can teach us first and then support what we've learned we'll unpack this a little bit tonight hmm. and then teach what we feel will be supportive of that dog intrinsically becoming intrinsically valuable as part of their ability to cope after that we can train anything you like you can do whatever you like after that uh, what's happened, and I think more traditionally, is it's been the other way around. I think this is good. so. The thing about slowing down, then, there's lots of ways we can look at slowing down. And you're right, you know, the reactive is it's a term that's used, and people know what it means, and and that's fine. And uh, as 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 is the word aggressive and things, uh, they are quite reductive terms 
because they also um, put a put an emphasis on the behavior somehow being the problem. Uh, so the dogs I work with, dogs who are likely to struggle maybe with novel dogs or or novel people, I just see those dogs as dogs who struggle to navigate the social environment. I, I think we've got to just be, try and be a bit more descriptive, really, uh, about what we see uh, and about what's happening. But yes, yeah, so, so so but you know we use those terms, don't we? And people know what they mean, especially the general public; they have an idea. But uh, we though can influence others with our language so we just gradually shift those and i like the term sensitive i know you've got your own sensitive dogs program i think it's yeah for me yeah. that's more of a, of a representation from the dog's point of view they're they're, they're sensitive to something mm. um uh and uh that nervous system is very attuned to something mm. or whatever it is that's going mm. uh but yeah we can change our language uh and then we can influence other people as, as they move along but i think i think terminology um and one thing i learned quite early on around terminology is sometimes we need to take people on a bit of a terminology journey and someone you know if a client turns up and said my dog's reactive i'm not going to shut them down and go sorry no 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 we don't say we don't we don't use that word you know it's about finding out more about why that you know that term what does that term mean to them and then as soon as we open up possibilities to talk about the dog struggling with things and the dog having sensitivities towards things that that terminology when handled right almost shifts itself within the within the, the caregiver because they're seeing their dog on in, in a different way to how they you know because dealing dealing and supporting with daily with a, a sensitive dog can be quite combative can be quite react you, you're reactive yourself in how you're dealing with things and and the way that you process things. So I think sometimes that word fits because that's almost the mindset that they're in of maybe how they're dealing with it. Whereas, you know, the, the caregivers that we support, we can, we can help them see their, see, try and see things more through their dog's eyes, you know, rather, rather than the, how do I stop my dog doing this? It's how do I help my dog feel that they don't need to because they're struggling around it, whatever. And like you said, you know, I love what you said about the, the intrinsic value. Going back to that training thing, I think so much of sometimes what we we get um, shown or what the, the education pathways can be based purely on, ex, on extrinsic, you know, reward value, treat value, play as a, as a motivator, you know, all these terms where actually what I see more and more and what's been the biggest eye-opener for me in, in supporting Jonty, our, our sensitive Ridgeback, is when food was not a motivator for him, so we couldn't go that classic route. We had to go for extrinsic, intrinsic motivation. And seeing him see intrinsic value in doing the things that are supportive for him in navigating the world was such a powerful thing, such an eye-opener to see those things. And I think the joy of seeing the dog do something because it means something, purely means something to them, is something that I find really motivating for me, really reward, you know, it, it, it extrinsically rewards me for an intrinsic action that the dog decides to do. Yeah, and certainly I think um, there's quite a few things to think about there with the, the, you've talked about, I think. Uh, we have to, um, when we're working with the dogs, 
who their kind of behavioral presentations show that they're struggling in, in these kind of social situations. Uh, we, we have to um, recognize, there's a few things to recognize. First of all, is that uh, we have to navigate our own judgment process. Mm. Our brains are designed to judge. Um, and uh, people have heard me say this before, but uh, we kind of, we love to judge and we hate to be judged. And the reason for that is because um, our brains are designed, especially as adults, to make these really quick cognitive appraisals, uh, often based on very thin information, but our brain will just make a decision about it. Uh, and often it's our judgments and our expectations and our assumptions and all these kind of things that come with that, that actually are the first barrier for like to working in a, in a very compassionate and empathetic way. Uh, because if I'm thinking, oh, I know what this is, and I, if, if, if this and this happens, then everything will be okay. So we have to change our relationship with judgment, because I say you can't not judge because you do it, but we can change our relationship with judgment uh, and uh, and not become judgmental about it and allow ourselves to not necessarily have that as a driver for our responses. And that's really important. These are bigger topics, of course, thinking about how we have to move away from a lot of the dynamics that stop us turning up and thinking about the emotional experience of another because that is it's quite hard to actually so mm. that's important uh and i have my safety first protocol which is something i've been talking about at some talks recently putting safety right at the heart of what we are doing even if you're working uh as a trainer training new behaviors safety has to come first the thing is with safety we tend to have a physical bias for safety because especially when we think about safety in another so if I think about safety for my husband or my dogs, I will think more in terms of physical safety because that's what my brain can get feedback from. Yes. But our own brain, dog's brain, uh, is just as if not more focused on emotional safety and social safety. This is really important when we're supporting that dog then, who's clearly showing us that they're not coping with something. And there's an important point here, by the way, we, we make a presumption that if a dog, for example, barks and lunges at the dogs, that they're fearful of other dogs. We've got to start challenging that a little bit because that's another assumption. Uh, often it's a bit more nuanced than that. We'll come unpack that in a minute. But um, so emotional safety is about the ability to feel something and to feel okay about feeling it and to be able to communicate that and feel that you can do so safely. That's emotional safety. Uh, a lot of our colleagues who work in veterinary, uh, I was just at the London Vet Show actually, and it was interesting talking to vets and vet nurses there about the cultures within different practices definitely our colleagues who work in shelters and rescues, they're often set, they're often told, look, don't get involved, don't get emotionally attached, you know, all this kind of thing from those above. The problem is you do get involved and you do get emotionally attached, but now you feel you can't talk about it. So you are now feeling emotionally unsafe within the working environment, which has a big knock-on effect. Actually. But I feel the same for dogs um, in as far as, you know, the wonderful Denise, I don't know if you're still in here, Denise, I see. But um, the wonderful Denise and more, she does all my graphics for me. Mm. talk i've just given she gave some great really powerful graphics which i'm going to use as an article actually because for me behavior is a bit like painting a picture i never want a dog to not behave how they feel they need to now obviously if that's in a dangerous way and a lot of the dogs i work with are potentially dangerous we have to mitigate for that of course we do but the dog needs to paint that picture for us. What we tend to do is we tend to dive in and grab the brush all the time and, and paint it for them. Right, that, that's quite a strong analogy, really, to think mm. about. 
Uh, and when you think about the, the, the amazing Rachel Leather, who, who specializes in trauma, says that you can't teach safety because you have to feel it. I could teach you some physical safety, Matt, yeah. like yeah. to stop putting your finger in the flipping plug socket, stuff like that. <laughs> but I can't teach you to feel emotional social safety because you have to feel it. Uh, and when we think about safety, then um, there are three really important words that I've brought over from my human kind of psychology days, and that's processing, engagements and exits. And this is why slowing down with these dogs is so important. If we just get, if we, what can happen often is just like dogs reacted for the dogs. Let's grab that brush. Let's paint the picture about what we're going to get. Uh, and that might be okay for some dogs, but there's going to be many people listening who are caregivers who feel that they're somehow failing because they can't get their dog to be sociable. They can't get their dog to cope in social situations. And actually what that tells me is either there is a part of that dog survival story, safety story that we haven't worked out yet. I'll come back to that with the processing engagement and exits, or that dog just can't do it. And that's okay, isn't it? I, I just think that's okay to recognize that even when I was working with humans um, in a kind of a therapy way, no matter how much, to, you know, bear in mind we can talk to a human, uh, and, and they can they can engage and they can have choices. You can't always guarantee those outcomes anyway there because, you know, it's just hard sometimes. And when you factor in things like physical discomforts, trauma, all these kinds of And having a truly trauma-informed approach, actually, one of the main uh, foundations to that is that we don't add more trauma as part of the process. So learning a dog's safety needs is really important. And as I say, the talks I've given, I, I even use some, I use some video footage of Molly when she was a puppy. This isn't just about the kind of extreme cases of dogs who are right up here. Even a puppy, even when Molly came at 16 weeks, she was telling me these videos are beautiful because she's telling me how she needs to move it through the environment, what she needs more time to process. So processing is really important. This is why slowing down with these dogs, not just slowing down for them but us is really important learning what their processing preferences are um and uh so processing is about what do you need to process in order to feel safe and, and, and if you're feeling safe or you're quite well regulated anyway then you a lot of that information has been done subconsciously of course but if you're more sensitive uh using that term earlier or if you're already anxious or you're already in a stress state you're going to need more time otherwise you're going to get overwhelmed really quick and that nervous system is just going to take over Engagement is the next word, which is an important one. What if you were to engage, and this isn't just social, by the way, Matt. This is um, emotional engagement, physical engagement, mental engagement, any kind of engagement. If you do want to engage, what does it look like? Um, but you need some choice in, in that engagement. And then finally, exits. If you do engage, where's your exit? Emotional exit, social exit, whatever. A lot of trauma, not all trauma, I guess, is, is based around lack of choice or agency over engagement and exit, when you think about it. And also knowing you have an exit if you don't want to engage. And our history of engagements and exits feed back into processing for next time. So when you think about a lot of these dogs that I work with, say we can't, we can't make an assumption that they are necessarily fearful. This is the thing. Some might be, by the way, and this is why we need to slow down. But I'm quite lucky. I've got a I've got a big space. It's a couple of acres, so we can really take our time just to do our observations and slow down. We're not going to dive in and do anything. We're just going to see what this dog can and can't do. All the stuff in the environment, my handlers, and that's always walk talkies. 
so they can appear and disappear and that kind of thing. So it's it's a bit like a normal setup, other than we're not doing anything, other than learning from the dog. And it's amazing how many dogs, when they get chance to do lots of little mini exits at the start, oh, there's a dog, I need to exit. I just need to exit. I just need to move. And then they they, they find themselves in situations that actually the engagement isn't coming. I'll start processing. And there's a little maneuver I do where, and, it, and it's amazing how many times this happens. You've got the dog here and the handler, and we've got to maybe about here. That's no good for the podcast, is it? Because um, they were just listening. Okay, so, so if you imagine... You can see the dog. The dog's doing okay. The dog is on the long line. The dog can make a choice to go straight over to that dog, if that's what they want to do. Remember, I want them to paint the picture for me. The number of dogs who follow the scent trail of where the dog has been walking, it's amazing. And then once that dog's processed enough and they know they have their engage the exits, we're not seeing the problem anymore. And I think for a lot of dogs, this is the same for humans. This is why I brought these three words over, because they... They're foundational for us, really. If you're a dog who's a bit more sensitive and you need more time to process, but guess what? Engagement just keeps coming fast. People just want to touch you. Dogs run over to you and you can't exit. Then uh, it's no wonder that nervous system starts to get, hang on, I just don't have time here to do stuff. So it's just a case of slowing stuff down to get these really good observations in. And actually, a lot of those processing engagement and exit op uh, pro uh, observations come without even seeing the trigger so if i'm working with a dog who might struggle with dogs the last thing i want to do is see the dog around dogs initially there's there's I, you know i want to see how do you process me how do you process your caregivers how do you process the environment what are your engagement preferences even with the caregiver you know a lot of dogs get a bit conflicted with caregivers because they all have to go through it like my arthur's a bit like that he's not really he's a collie right so he's not really the most cuddly dog in the world but um uh, but it's interesting that and i think this is why slowing down and learning, trying to learn as much as we can without kind of judgment or label is, is really important as part of this process. So, and then it's a case of putting those layers in and getting the feedback, letting the dog paint the picture. What do you need to paint? The worst thing in the world is a dog who feels they can't paint the picture anymore. And that isn't just through aversive, man. We've got to be recognized that even through a heavy, kind of positive training <clears throat> aspect. Um, I'm working with the dog at the moment, which is an agility champion, really well trained, amazing, brilliant, but can't cope in the in the in, in the world around. So we're starting to do these observations. The first couple of times we had two acres with this dog. And the dog was still kind of like, oh, do you want me to spin for you? Do you want me to do you want me to twist for you? Do you want me to do? And it's like, okay, you don't have to do anything. You don't have to do anything right now. You can just you know do things things so so um we have to kind of give them the chance to express and when i'm working with clients we don't look at progress based just on behavior on or behavior off you know it is just behavior and it's and we need the dog to let us know how well they're doing so um you know if the dog has a woof the dog has a woof we see it for what it is and i want to look for are we shifting this presentation through changes in intensity, frequency, and recovery? Because that gives us an idea if they're doing well. And I think when you work with clients in this way, I know you work very similarly, <clears throat> it's important because it's, it takes the pressure off them. Because if they think, oh, the dog's had a woof, it's not working, I can't do it. Uh, we're setting them up to fail a bit because there's a good chance the dog's going to have a woof because dogs have a woof. Um, uh, so I think this is the key, really, to slowing things down really slowing things down and making sure that dog 
has the opportunity to keep painting that picture for us. So much to unpack in what you've just spoken about. I, I, I really like those three words of um, process, engage and, and exits, I think. Look at and and so ju just so I've got it because this is the first time I'm hearing that that is a as an idea. Um, is is it that that is steps or is that things to look for? Is there an order to that? Do, do you know what I mean? Is because what I don't want people to 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 go away from this is go right. I've, I've, it, it's a it's a step by step. Give the dog this. Give the dog this. Give the dog this. What? How how does that? those three words how do they link together how does the how does that play out in a in a situation then is it is it literally the dog will process then the dog will engage if they want to and then you offer an exit if you want to how does it look well nothing is linear no. <clears throat> no, no, no. it's formulaic that's really important um uh and these are these are three words that are they're very dynamic and they're happening all the time. Hmm. Because if you think about it, um, your ability to find the exit is a form of processing. The processing is part, part of processing is of course, what information do I need? Hmm. Um, uh, but also part of that processing is, do I have the time to do the processing? It's all very connected. Hmm. For me, they are specific in as far as how we can break down even more our observations. Hmm. Because a lot of our observations, we tend to go on body language, stress signals, all these kind of things. Actually, we can we can create more layers than that. Just really slow down and think, okay, that's interesting. So the dog's processing here. You know, Sarah talks a lot. Um, I know um, uh, our amazing colleague, uh, Dee Dawson's done a little study on this as well, which is really important. Um, so when that dog becomes a little bit less fizzy and they're not quite into eye anymore, because I think eye kind of takes over a lot. Yeah. In fact, a lot of dogs that we work with, especially the dogs who really struggle they have quite an unhealthy relationship with visual input you know that they're just really like see something threat see something threat when that nose first takes over and we first see that bit of air center and we think right you'll get your processing better now mm. um and seeing what that looks like engagement learning from the dog what engagement needs to look like a, a lot of the dogs are you know this is something sarah's uh, um was, we were talking about this recently sarah fisher and i um Sarah's nice, I'm sure you have. If I meet a dog and the first thing they do is jump at me, right? For example, being a bit silly, caregivers think two things normally. One is, oh, look, he loves everybody. And two, oh, I'm sorry, he's being naughty. I just think really fizzy right now. You're feeling the social pressure and, and that's your thing. And this notion that we see, we've got to move away from this notion of everything is somehow connected. So I read a lot of stuff by, oh, the dog jumps up, they get the social connection and therefore they've been reinforced. Do they? It's a genuine question. Do yeah. they? Yeah. Because sometimes they might, uh, but it, but how would they? They don't even know me. More often it's like, I, you know, I'm going to use fun appeasement here because I don't know how to do it. Number of times then the dog, if we don't put the social pressure on too much, they might have a little shake off, they might go and have a little drink. And the next thing we find is they've come and sniffed us from the side or behind. Yeah. Or if we're sat at a table, they'll come under. Or... The dog might not even do the jumping up. They might just come over and they think, okay, I'm going to come sniff you, but they come from the side of behind. That, that is a classic example for me of a dog who wants to process, but is, but, is, but doesn't want the engagement yet. Um, and then exits. God, you know, when I'm working the field, as I call it, these dogs who are apparently really challenging around the tr trigger, they're just seeking exits and, and they really know how to use them, but they never get a chance to practice them enough. 
so uh, and it's beautiful actually uh, just watching I've shared video this sort of thing but so th those words they are quite fluid but they give us chance for us trying to think okay so you can't teach safety because you have to feel it well how do I know how a dog feels then well we don't but we can break it down and think okay it's interesting you seem to have a preference for processing this and in this order great engagement that seems to be your preference and remember not wanting to engage is also cool and that should be respected mm -hmm. uh and exit where's your exits we did um uh i'm the behavioral consultant pet remedy and we did a, a competition which would win a day with me how wonderful is that wow. uh, my husband my husband entered it as well because he didn't <laughs> um uh, and uh we went down to cornwall and saw this beautiful german shepherd it's all going to be on the pet remedy website soon and um we hired a field a field down there and this um german shepherd had it's just reacting to everything pretty well. And what we learned from that dog in that few hours was how much that dog wanted exits. And when we started practicing exits and really, because this is that thing about learn, support, teach. Mm. So we learned from the dog, supported what we learned, and we really taught in a really good exit because we think, well, actually, this is what you want then because mm. it's intrinsic. It's not, it's not artificial. Uh, and in fact, they'd done a lot of really good stuff around engage disengage for example and uh a lot of kind of um thing but a lot of that meant the dog was stationary so the dog's like yeah i get all this it's all very wonderful but i just need to move right now uh and uh laura donaldson the amazing laura donaldson calls it enforced immobilization how much how much do we do in that with with training actually i saw a video recently now I, I won't mention the provider but, and it was used as a promo and i was really surprised about it um uh, so you had this dog, which is the dog that struggles. They were doing a lot of, I don't know, it was like engage, disengage, or look at that, or whatever it is. Uh, so, but a lot of click treat, you know, look at the dog, click treat, click treat. And then the stooge dog came along the back. There was this twice in that little footage, the client dog started to air scent, but both times couldn't carry through because it's another food, right? right. And then the dog that was coming this way, which is a black Labrador, I think, Got to about the point behind. I'm, I'm doing visuals again, but we're on a podcast right. as well. Don't worry. Um, uh, so if you imagine the dog's in the dog, the client dog is in situ. It's just not moving. Then they bring this Labrador behind along, uh, and then when the black Labrador gets about kind of you know in line with this with the with the dog, it starts to try and sniff. But because it's being worked, they just dragged it along. So we've got two dogs whose processing engagement and exit options aren't being necessarily listened to. And I think it's just a different way of looking at it, really, Matt. And it gives us more, more access, I think, to the potential of that dog's safety needs. You know, mm. there's always some dogs we can never work it out. And that's really important. We've got to admit that. We can, we can people who are much better trainers than I am can say, I can, I can get the dog to do it. Well, that's great, because we can, if we really know what we're doing, make an animal or a human behave in the way we want to. But there is a consequence for that. And this is the thing I talked about at the conference up in Kent, anybody who listened in. Because Mother Nature has stitched together, really, mood, emotions, feelings. Those three words are often used interchangeably, but they're, they're different. But um, in mood, emotions, feelings, behavior, consequences. We, I think, through civil, the civilization process, have removed behavior and consequences as a separate entity. Uh, and um, I shared it, I shared uh, on the talk about my own experiences there. I had trauma when I was a child, uh, sexualized trauma, and that affected my behavior. Uh, 
And what's interesting about that match, I talked about this on the podcasts, of course, and then just part of my story, but uh, when you experience that trauma, this is really important. I can't stress this enough. Nothing changes out there. This notion that the environment is the thing, nothing changed in my environment. But what changed was my perception of it. My perception of it. And uh, so uh, my behavior changed. So my, my school took a, a very punitive approach and I had detentions and then the slipper and then the cane. And after the had a cane a couple of times, my behavior did change, man. My, I had I had a successful behavioral modification there. So guess what? Punishment works. Um, and that's the consequence. That's the antecedent behavior consequence. My yeah. parents took a different approach because um, part of my change in perception before, uh, after the the kind of abuse, which happened with extern externally from family, uh, was that I suddenly realized, well, where are my parents? You know, I had everything growing up, Matt. I was a spoiled little brat um, because my parents worked very hard, but they worked very hard and they were away a lot. Uh, so my father recognized maybe this is what's causing these behavioral changes. So he said, look, you know, we'll spend more time as a family then. Contingent on, we do look contingencies, don't we? Contingent on you behaving. Do you know what? I wanted that, didn't I? I wanted that. So guess what? My behavior changed. So this is the point. This notion that behavior and consequence, behavior and consequence, but my mood never changed. The consequence for me was going through my 20s, um, not feeling safe in adult relationships, not feeling that I could be myself because I had to be, I had to behave to be loved. I had to behave to do stuff. But the real consequence came 20 years later with my drug addiction and my breakdown. So when we start thinking about this then, this notion that somehow if we change behavior, everything will be all right, it's not right. And it's not right for the dogs. A lack of behavior does not mean an emotionally regulated animal or human. It just means the behavior is not given anymore. And I think this is where we've got to start thinking. We've got to stitch back behavior and consequence with those others and slow the process down. We've got to allow the dog to paint their picture. We've got to think about how we are better at understanding what they're painting, not making, not, not start, not, as I say, taking the brush and painting it for them. Firstly, thank you for sharing what you said about your your personal journey with you know trauma and and experiences. I think that's that's a, a really powerful thing, and I think it informs us so much about what was meaningful for you, what you were seeking, what you needed was was re at, at the end of the day it was reconnection, wasn't it? It was reconnection with those that those that were there to support you those that were there to guide you and and obviously you know there was a, a, a way that that was handled and you had to do certain things to to get that connection back but I think I I see a lot and it's interesting you talk about the jumping up and greeting people you know I talk a lot to clients about the need to gather information from another you know dogs treat other dogs and they're all on that they're all on that horizontal line that the, the mouth the body the, the backside that the dog wants to go and grab information from is all horizontal, but we're vertical. So, you know, a dog that is seeking information from us sometimes has to come up to get that last piece of information, which is that, which is our mouth. And, and I think, you know, there's, there's, there's interesting parallels that come across all the time and, and going back to this, you know, what you talk about a lot and, and, and we share as well about this, this care mentality that we need to have, this care structure that we need to have with our dogs is as soon as we get people on that journey, I, I, 
I get more people open up to me about their journey too because they feel they're able to because like you said at the very beginning they're not being judged on their their behavior or their dog's behavior their dog's behavior you know you've done that that wonderful piece of whose behavior is it anyway um which is fantastic and 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 I, and I love it because it 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 speaks so much of where we need to be and 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 I I in our in all the classes that we we teach and all the 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 consultations that we do we we talk about um opportunity over expectation and that really changes people people's mindset too because even in our agility classes we say to people your dog is here to have the opportunity to take part in the activity not the expectation that they will because there are so many reasons either within the environment or even before they've turned up at the class that might mean that actually taking part in activity is really hard for them today you know, we, we're, you know, the, and, and we do, we are able to have sensitive dogs in our class because of the structure that we've got and the setup that we've got. So as soon as you, you start to say it's okay for the dog to go and sniff around the equipment rather than jump the equipment and why that possibly could be happening, they go, well, yeah, because the, you know, dog had a, a, a difficult moment with a trigger, you know, an hour before it, it turned up to class. You go, well, this is what the dog needs to do now. It doesn't need, the agility is no longer important. The, the opportunity to decompress, regather its, fault, its thoughts, reset, recover from the car journey for the dog now is what's important. The activity itself is not. So if that's yeah. what the dog needs to do, that's what we're going to do. And I think going back to what you said about process, engage and exit, you know, that dog's going into that very basic processing. But it's been removed from that that environment where it needed to process because time says that we need to do that. Or whatever. So, you, 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 for me tonight personally, you've added already so many layers into additional to to some of the thoughts that I have in my head, head and some of the things that go around in my head at silly o'clock in the morning about how we can start to take people on a journey, how we can start to change things, and you know, going back to the 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 talk, the subject of the the talk about, pardon me, this idea of slow. I think without slow we don't get to those three things that you've talked about. We don't get the process. We don't get the engagement. And we certainly don't get that thought process from the dog that I can exit if I need to. Because as soon as they go quick, as soon as that quick thinking brain kicks in, I I, I describe the, the difference between quick thinking brain and slow thinking brain is the difference between how, how Tam and I shop. So I'm I'm quick thinking brain shopper. I'm see the glitz and glam, see the the demo and think this is amazing. And Tam's at home doing the reading the reviews and doing the research and then telling me it's a load of rubbish. But it's too late because I've bought it anyway because I'm impulsive. And you know that's the difference in decision making. That 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 quick thinking brain doesn't always get to make good decisions. Um and we do have to retrain ourselves. This is the thing. Um working in a more compassionate and empathetic and that's the important word empathetic yeah empathy for me is uh being available for turning up to the emotional experience of another and feeling it yourself and there's a lot of reasons why we can't do that very easily in fact um uh, and that quick thinking judgy brain of ours is part of the problem there because um you know it's constantly wanting to kind of seek outcomes it wants control over outcomes it wants to kind of get things to fit into little boxes 
And turning up to the um, to the needs of another actually is uh, can be quite challenging. If we, especially one of the golden rules of working in human therapy is that the therapist has to be in as well regulated a place as possible, because it, it's it's almost impossible to truly be a, be available to another mm. if you're all over the place up and i think this is the key with working with the dog we've got to just allow ourselves we've got to teach ourselves to be able to just be in the moment the beautiful thing is dogs give us that gift if we allow it they will allow us that and this is what this is the big influence that sarah's had on me and i know the same with you and i'm sure other people is the ability just to kind of be in that space and 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 see what you see uh and just to kind of think about um what it is the dog's doing and what it is in, in that kind of space. I think it's just a beautiful thing. And, and it does affect on us because a lot of the things, uh, when we think about the judgments, when we think about the belief systems we build up and the value systems, a lot of those are put in there by other voices ourselves. A lot of the narratives we have about us comes from that teacher at school. He said, we would you know, be any good. It, is, it comes from our form or comes from whatever. And actually, when we think about that reappraisal, Lord Olson again talks about cognitive reappraisal, which in human terms is uh, that kind of thing about, okay, my initial thought was this, but I'm going to reappraise that. The brain doesn't like to reappraise, that's why it's hard, but but we can do it over time. And uh, that's why I have my CAKE acronym, Mm. because it's a good one to always think about um, compassion, awareness, knowledge, empathy. Happens to spell CAKE. Uh, And I always try and bring CAKE if I'm going to, you know, I do a lot of support stuff on you know, to colleagues. Mm. So I want to bring cake. Um, compassion is the first word. Compassion's about turning up, I think. Compassion's about, uh, you know, even if my judgment in my judgy brain thinks, well, that's a horrible thing they've done, or, you know, I don't like this situation. Compassion's about turning up anyway. That's that changing that relationship with that. Awareness is about trying to be aware of the other's lived experience, trying to be aware of that. And that brings us on to knowledge because obviously as practitioners, we have knowledge, but that needs to be checked in at the door. I need to seek knowledge about this caregiver. And like we said earlier, whatever language they use, however they want to represent themselves, that is fine. I want to seek knowledge of that. And with the compassion, awareness and knowledge, we can then empathize. We can have true empathy. Uh, Brene Brown says empathy feels connection, sympathy drives disconnection now this is really important why is that because sympathy actually just having sympathy often creates a power imbalance oh i sympathize matt uh what i'm saying is well you're struggling but i'm not (laughs) Uh, and often sympathy comes with a but so uh could we see this at time you know um i sympathize but i still need you to do it i sympathize but the deadline still has to be met i sympathize but i'm still going to do my thing uh, if you, if somebody says I empathize, but they're not empathizing, there is no but with empathy. Empathy is about I feel it, I hear you. Um, and when we think about our jobs, this is why I'm just really it's a it's a big thing for me. And, and I know I talk about these things a lot, but but I think we need this perception shift, and that's all I offer really. I've got amazing colleagues around me like yourself and Sarah and others who who do a lot more of the funky stuff than I do. But, but the fundamental perception shift is an important one because as trainers and behaviorists, our job is to turn up to the behavior of another, right? Uh, and if we're going to consider changing, modifying, whatever, the behavior of another living being, 
it comes with a huge ethical responsibility for us. And if I'm going to influence you, Matt, as a human being, or influence that dog as a dog, at the very minimum, I want to try and make sure that I'm supporting the relief and safety that you're seeking. And not just getting a behavior that fits a narrative or, or a conformist one. And, and that's the big shift, I think. And, and by, by inviting people along on this, we have the three A's, people might have heard me talk about these before, but they're important. Uh, this is how we shift this stuff. So awareness is the first A, and that's the onus is on us first as part of CAKE. I'm gonna be aware of your, your needs. And then I'm gonna support you as the caregiver then, once I've heard your story, I'm gonna support you to become more aware of your dog's care and support needs. I, that's what I see my job as actually. I'm not mm. turning up to fix anything. I'm not a boiler, yeah. I'm not a boiler repairman. Uh, I'm here to say, right, this is what this is what we're looking at here together right, about your dog's spirits. The next day is the tricky one for many, and that's acknowledgement. And that's because their own safe worldview, their own belief systems, their own value systems are potentially with those cognitive distortions and biases stopping them acknowledging that so that's another part of our job is okay how do i help you to navigate that and then the final a is the place we want to get to which is acceptance and the beautiful thing about acceptance is it's the best shield in the world to the judgments and expectations of others it frees us because it activates our advocacy brain so it's four A's really, I suppose. But, but the three A's come from human therapy stuff because that's what we do. So I, I, I'm a uh, advisor for canine arthritis management and I talk about this with Hannah Capon. It's the same in clinical settings. The vet has to make you, the vet has to become aware of whatever's going on, then has to support the awareness of the caregiver. And that can be hard then for them to acknowledge, actually, oh, my dog is in pain. Um, my dog isn't very well my dog is getting old that could be hard to acknowledge sometimes and then to truly accept it can be difficult <clears throat> because you know all these things but when you get to acceptance you can now advocate for your dog uh and advocacy takes a, a lot of the pressure off so in the past then uh our brain's very finely tuned to social judgment and social rejection and actually it hurts so social pain is a thing it's the same part of the brain as physical pain uh, if you check out matthew liebman's work from ucla <clears throat> um uh, and that's what caregivers have a lot of the time. So the dog's barking at people, barking at dogs, and they're absolutely mortified and they're fearing the judgment. When you go through awareness, acknowledgement, acceptance, and then you can advocate, you don't give a toss what somebody thinks now because you're, you know, um, I was with a, my client the other day. The dog had a worth. The first thing my client did, and it was beautiful, was apologize to her dog. It was beautiful. Uh, and um, in the past, she'd have been, oh, terribly sorry, blah, blah, blah. You know, the dog had a worth something in the world, uh, and she, and this is the thing. Then we've we've got a this is a this is another thing about slowing down the process, because um, uh, the task orientated approach of the past uh, lets people down often. Mm. Because if the task can't be completed, then somebody will feel they're to blame. You know um, the care orientated approach that you and I try and promote. It just means learning from the other first it's as simple as that really you know care first task will follow you know uh and it's okay to say do you know what i'm not feeling it today uh that can be me saying it and i do sometimes i i practice self-care uh, my clients know that sometimes i might i might reschedule appointments because i need this 
base because they understand the job I do because I front load with that. Um, uh, sometimes the caregiver's not feeling it. So we call it the range of safety. And this is why we have to slow down as a professional because we can be really excited about, oh God, we did this last week and this week we're going to do this week. Oh, and already we're off. Yeah. We slow down and think, right, how are we all today? And the range of safety, it's the dog's physical, emotional, social safety needs, the caregiver's physical, emotional, social safety needs and mine. And where they all meet, that's the range of safety. That's where we're going to work today. That is fluid. It changes all the time. We have set stuff, but um, our mood state drives a lot of stuff. You know, I'm doing the Mira, M-H-E-R-A, Mira, uh, which is um, Karen Paneer. Check out the chat with Robert Fulton Taylor about Mira. I'm doing the Mira practitioner course at the moment, which is a big focus on mood. So Mira, the M stands for mood. Right. And if you think about it, mood underpins everything you try doing something if you're not in the mood for it you try doing something if you're in a pessimistic outlook mood state mm. you know uh where you're not necessarily looking for something that's going to be rewarding you might do it that's that's such that's such an imp- a thing that we don't consider with our with our dogs isn't it you know we we uh, you know they, they bring you a ball or something and you go I, I can't i'm not going to play right now i'm not in the mood but all of a sudden we're ready to you know go and do some training or go and sp- spend some time making progress whatever how often do we do we contemplate that the fact that the dog's actually not in the mood the dog's not in the right frame of mind and allow them to to, to express to us that they're not in the mood and us to go okay that's fine we'll do it another time but also mood state can be quite long lasting and Mm. Uh, this is something that uh, Karen talks a lot with with Mira and especially looking at um, for those geeky people the core, the core affect space side of things about plotting these things you know uh, and um, if you're in a uh, if you kind of visualize this uh, along the horizontal you have the kind of valence the kind of negative to positive feeling right. if you like Mm-hmm. And then up the vertical, you have um, low arousal to high arousal. Mm-hmm. And that puts a nice quadrant. If you can imagine that in your head, we do love quadrants. Uh, if you're in a kind of negative valence, low arousal state, well, that's depression, isn't it? That's, that's uh, you know, feeling low, mm-hmm. low mood. Uh, and if you're stuck in that place, then uh, that has to be the first thing we think about shifting the dog to a more stable place because what you really want is positive valence and low arousal which is calm and relaxed and that kind of... i think this is all important i love what karen's doing with Nero. i think it's going to be a really important talk for us but, but mm. this is the thing again about slowing things down um i, I would say about half maybe it's just a figure off the top of my head but a good number anyway the dogs i see that struggle with other dogs or novel people, it isn't dogs and other people actually that is the primary for that dog. Mm. There's other stuff going on and they just don't have the bandwidth for it. Mm. Processing, engagement, exit, right? A couple of things about human there, let's give you some examples. Uh, If you're not feeling very well, if you're tired, if you're stressed and you see a friend in town, you're likely to avoid them. Because you don't have the bandwidth for it. And that's with somebody, it's a safe engagement and safe exit. And you have an exit. Um, but it's just, I, I, I can't even process it. I can't even deal with it. A, a lot of these dogs, especially some of the overseas dogs, there's other stuff they're overwhelmed about. 
uh, the social part of the brain is a big part of our brain. It takes a lot of juice. And we're expecting the dog to kind of do all that stuff when there's other stuff going on. And, um, you know, uh, I've not met a dog yet, especially the ones who are potentially dangerous dogs that wasn't in pain. No, physical pain often, often, like really genuinely often, but emotional pain or social pain. And that has to be dealt with first. This is that's taking our time, building things up, layering in, uh, making, getting the feedback, not, setting arbitrary goals because uh you know the big prime primary thing for me with my with the caregivers i work with is to just start to become attuned to their dog and um you know that dog is always a good dog yeah they just don't cope so well sometimes once you once they start to reframe it 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 changes for them and and that's a difficult process though because you and i've talked before some of that might involve a bit of grieving for them actually recognizing well maybe this isn't going to be how i thought it was going to be and, yeah. and that's why i think we've got to be honest and and just say look you know it isn't now who knows what the future brings and we've all been completely amazed by some dogs yeah. uh once once we get the right combination they're like yeah i can do this i can do it now i can do it for absolutely wow um as always andy massive amount of information that you shared with us so meaningful i've sat here and and just neurons are firing across my brain of all these connections and links with things that you know i I, like i said i sit and contemplate but actually to to you always bring that that background and that depth of knowledge that you have um to our talk so thank you so much uh for spending time i'm going to be coming with um the amazing sarah fisher and the incredible um chloe skulls i think i hope i'm set schoons hope I'm saying that right I always dyslexic reading names is never good for me um into dog center care on the 8th of December um for a talk all about ACE animal centered education which I'm just really excited for um to share the space with you and Sarah and Chloe is, is going to be great so if you're in the Slovember group or if you're listening to this on the dog dialogue and you're not in Andy's group Andy now I always call your group DCC dog centered care but actually it's the name has changed slightly, isn't it? So what is the name of your group now? Oh, no, it's Dog Centre Care. Yeah, I've just had right. it a bit on the end. Uh, it's just, it says, I think it's about the emotional experience of dogs and their caregivers. It's just, a, I think as a group's grown, and it has grown, um, mm, I think people really think grown. it's a dog training group, and it's not. Um, there's plenty of great dog training groups out there. It is about considering them more. I think the big thing about, this is what I try and do when I do my talks, really, is uh, we have amazing people who offer us huge amounts of the science that's available to us now we need that we need the objectivity that science gives us but we also while standing firmly in that objectivity we need to be brave enough to look out at the richness the beauty of the subjective and anecdotal of the individual's lived experience and i think that's all that's often where i start from i think um i I see a lot of protocols and practices that are very rigid and in fact, if we're truly going to turn up, I want to think, OK, I'm just going to let this dog tell me a story then, let it paint that picture. And, uh, you know, as Sarah Fisher says, you know, that question mark thing, oh, that's interesting, put a question mark there. Oh, oh, and again, that's the fifth time I've seen that. Yeah. Maybe that is a thing for this dog. Yeah. And so allow ourselves to be subjective in that way. And then obviously over time, we bring it back to the objective again by having good data and, and trying to keep a log of stuff so that we have something to look at progress. But 
this is the thing again about slowing down and um i've worked with so many dogs now where that's the stuff they've shown me through processing engagement and exit preferences um uh i've got no papers on it no. you know i've got no I, i'm just thinking this dog is shared this. I, i've shared this a few times because it's just shows how simple it can be sometimes i work with a dog who had a real preference for that kind of displacement sniffing and moving to the left that's just what the dog kept doing every time something came in the social environment the caregivers were very obedient minded so they've got the dog to walk to the right at a heel on a half check we move the dog to a harness i convince them it's okay for the dog to walk ahead of you the sky is not going to fall in we're going to be right and about 80 percent of that dog's responses in the environment shifted because for that dog it just had a desire to move that way to find that exit uh so sometimes it can be as simple as that but mm. we miss it we're not looking for it absolutely so we have to think that's interesting that's interesting that's interesting sometimes then you can build up a pattern the amazing two rugas with all the work she's done in the past was all done on it anecdotal it was like i've seen that again i've seen that again i've seen that again you know it niggles me when i see some people who are on the more on the more academic side of things pull apart some of this stuff and like well you know this doesn't hold up to this but does it always have to the individual lived experience will fall on this which is important we are all of us in this room and your dog and your cat and your horse unique sentient beings on this planet we all have a unique combination of our genetics our trauma our learning experiences, our environment, our social connections, our secure attachments, our insecure attachments. Uh, there's a lot that binds us, I know, but there's parts of our own story, that's about whose behavior is anyway, thing. Yeah. Um, it's ours, mm. it's the dogs. Yeah. And especially the dogs, because um, they just wanna feel safe. They wanna feel relief, they wanna feel heard. Um, that's why we have to let them paint that picture really. So there you go, that's a good way to finish, I suppose. The brilliant way to finish. Thank you so much, Andy. Uh, once again, hopefully you will um, come back and see us um, a um, in November in 2024. If we well, when we run it again, no doubt. And also, it'd be great to have you back for a dedicated um, time within the podcast of the Dog Dialogue as well. So, um, thank you so much, Andy. I will end it there. And um, oh, we're back just as a, a plug. Um, I'm back with Nathan Squires tomorrow night. Um, talking about um, human change um, and some of the things that he's looked into and researched into supporting people to make changes to help dog their, their dogs too. So we're going to be looking forward to that and um, that's going to be great. So thank you everybody and Andy I will see you on December the 8th in your DCC group. Yeah great thanks Matt. Thanks everybody. <laughs>